Welcome to Spark, Careers in Agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, president at Paulson. Today, we're fortunate to have a conversation with Serena Lynn, president of Feed and Nutrition at Cargill in Minneapolis. Serena has a fascinating background. She grew up in Taiwan and at the age of 13, moved with her family to Hawaii, where she learned English. She pursued a BA in computer science from Harvard and has an MBA in strategy and an MA in international relations from Yale University. Prior to her time at Cargill, Serena spent 13 years at McKinsey & Company, where she developed the broad business background that has served her so well in her role as president at Cargill. I had the chance to hear Serena speak last fall at the Women in Agribusiness Conference, and we are fortunate to have her with us today. Serena, can you describe your current role and essentially just introduce yourself and then tell us what a really great day is like for you at work? I joined Cargill about five years ago, really without an ag background or ag experience. However, I got fascinated by agriculture because if you really think about what agriculture is, you say, gosh, this touches all of us every day. Whether we like it or not, we have to eat. We have to eat safely, we have to eat affordably, and we have to eat nutritiously. How can we be part of that and know where our food comes from and have an influence in it? So I got fascinated by that. So joined Cargill five years ago and really came into lead strategy and business development initially. I was in that role for about three years, and it's a fascinating way for me to learn about the world of agriculture through the lens of Cargill and supporting the senior team in really developing the strategy for growth right, in different markets and different product segments. And two years ago, I was honored to take on this role uh, to lead our feed and nutrition business. So what the feed and nutrition business is, is this is basically producing compound feed for animals around the world. So the business itself today, we are in about 33 countries. We have about 250 plants. We have about 20,000 employees, and we produce feed to feed all major species, swine, dairy, beef, poultry, right, as well as a lot of specialized species around the world. So for example, you might not know this, but Cargill, we're the number one alligator feed producer <laughs> here I did not in know that. the U.S., I right? did not know that. And we, and we are the number one hairy crab feed producer in China. Now, hairy crab, for people who don't know, is absolutely the delicacy in China. It's a kind of crab, right? That produce fantastic egg rolls. So you eat the egg roll rather than the meat, right? So, so we produce a lot of these specialized feed because we spend a lot of effort understanding the nutritional value as well as the metabolism of the different animals. So there's a lot of science that go into feed and be able to produce the feed that every farmer can use and, uh, and feed their animal. So what a great day for me typically. So a couple of things I have to confess. I actually don't like to sit in an office here in Minneapolis because sitting in Minneapolis doesn't really get me, it doesn't give me the good sense of what exactly the business, how the business is doing. A great day for me would be, for example, last week I was in Poland and, uh, and hungry. And whenever I'm out there in the markets, remember we're in 33 markets, yeah. 33 countries, right? So a great day is a day where I get up in the morning in one of these countries and I go out and visit our customers. Now, our customers are typically the local farmers or the local feed distributors, right? Or, or in this case, for example, in, 
in Poland, I met a turkey co-op where they're one of the largest turkey co-op, 15 farmers together, right, where they produce turkey and try to sell turkey into the rest of the European Union. And it's sitting down with them, understanding how does Cargill help them be successful? How does help Cargill help them not only providing the feed, but help them build their businesses? And frankly, what's most touching in many of those cases is how Cargill really gave them hope and dream about their future, but not just for them, but also for their kids and be able to send their kids to college. Those are the great days for me. And typically, if I keep on, you know, a great day, for example, for these market visits, usually I will visit customers, I'll hear their stories, I'll ask about how Cargo is doing, how are we serving them, and of course, Sometimes we get customer complaints as well. Well, sure. you, guys, you guys are expensive, right, and et cetera. So, you know, so we get a lot of good customer feedback, but that's a great way for me to hear at firsthand how the customers are experiencing our product and our services. And usually I will follow them by going to one of our plants locally. Right? Remember, we have about 250 plants worldwide. So I'll go into a plant. I will usually do a town hall, meet all our employees locally, right, shake hands, and really do a town hall, right? So share my view, my observation, and really allow a lot of time for Q&A. Listen from our colleagues in that particular plant. How are they experiencing their work? How are they experiencing Cargill? And what can I do to help them? And usually it's those interactions that give me a lot of energy as well. And then I will usually end the day in a market visit like that, a, di- a dinner with the leadership team locally understand their business plan, their strategy, how are they doing as a team, and what can I do to help them. A great day is like that. It's start with market visits to customers, have a visit of our plan, see how our plan is doing, you know, are we operating safely, having the interaction with our employees, and having time with the management team to understand their growth strategy. So how's that for a day? Wow, that's amazing. That just blows my mind. You have accomplished so much. So for our audience, I think it would be really great if you would kind of look back and talk a little bit about your early life and how that prepared you for where you are now and what were the steps? How did you get where you're at now? As I mentioned earlier, I did not start my career in agriculture. In fact, I'm a city kid, right? I grew up in Taipei, which is uh, the largest city in Taiwan, which is a small island of China. Uh, I moved to Hawaii for high school. And then I went to Boston for college, and I studied computer science as an undergrad. And I went to Procter & Gamble as a salesperson. And I was living in San Francisco Bay Area at the time, and I called on grocery stores and drug stores and sell Quest toothpaste and Tide detergent and ivory soap. Right? So I did that for about two years. And I realized that while I really like business and like the commercial side of things, I needed something more than just being a salesperson. So I went back to school. I got my MBA. When I graduated from, from graduate school, I decided that uh, I still didn't quite know what I want to do, so I went into management consulting. So consulting, um, basically, it's a great training ground for someone who is just starting out, um, in, a, in, in my case, my career, to really get a good sense of how do businesses make money in the different industries, right, as well as what does it mean to be a good leader in different situations. I spent about 13 years at McKinsey and Company and I served a variety of different industries solving a variety of different problems, right? Everything from growth strategy to HR strategy to manufacturing and operations to procurement, right? And I've served a variety of different industries from construction to rapid transits to consumer packaged goods 
to bakery products. And, and I serve a lot of high-tech and a lot of pharmaceutical companies as well. So it gave me a very good and broad sense of what does it mean to run a business, to manage a business in a very general management setting. The truth is I was never deep in anything, but I was broad enough in most of the disciplines that you would say that a general manager need to have, right? Everything from HR, finance, IT, operations, commercial, I've touched on each of those in different ways, actually in many different industries. So that sort of gave me a very broad overview of what it's like to be a manager or to be a leader. So after I joined Cargill, what Cargill gave me is definitely that perspective of what does it mean to be in agriculture and realizing the complexity of the problems facing agriculture today. And I have to say, I, I spent many years serving high-tech customers during my McKinsey days. People think of high-tech as well, high-tech must be very complex, right? Because it has the word high-tech in there, right? So <laughs> must be very complex, and agriculture must be low-tech. You know, now that I've been in, in agriculture for five years, I can tell anyone who is willing to listen, agriculture is probably one of the most complex industries out there for a variety of reasons. And many of the listeners probably know this, because if you look at agriculture, this is probably one of those most complicated supply chain you can imagine in the world, and also most fragmented so if you think about every piece of bread that we eat or every piece of chicken we, we eat, think about the number of touch points it requires from a supply chain perspective to get to us versus, believe it or not, compare us to making an iPhone. The iPhone supply chain is actually relatively straightforward and simple, believe it or not. People might not believe that, but it's absolutely true. And the weather doesn't affect it, right? It, <laughs> thank you, Sarah. And the weather doesn't affect that. Agricultural policy doesn't affect that, right? Yeah. So, so there is a lot more variability in agriculture that is sometimes out of any one player's control, right? But yet that's what makes this supply chain so much more complex and yet exciting. And fills us with so many opportunities Absolutely. because of all the different roles, Absolutely. Um, which is one of the things we're trying to communicate here. So it sounds like your path seems like it was very methodical and very planned out. <laughs> You're shaking your head. For I, those who got here. Well, that's right. That's right. No, it, in fact, it's really interesting because uh, five years ago, if, you, if anyone were to ask me, can you see yourself five years from now leading one of the largest animal nutrition business in the world? I said, you must be kidding me. <laughs> right? The truth is, no, I, I never really planned it out. Um, but, um, you know, Sarah, you mentioned the, the, agri, the Women in Ag Forum last mm-hmm. year, right? and I, I did share that with the audience. I said, during my McKinsey career, so I was at McKinsey for 13 years. That's where I was the management consultant. I asked myself the question every other year or so. I said, am I having fun, and am I learning, right? As a way for me to, quote-unquote, plan my career. Because I realized that you can really not, you can never really plan a career as far out as, you know, three, four, or five years. You don't know what kind of opportunity come your way. However, what's within your control is what you're doing right now. Are you learning from what you're doing right now? And are you having fun doing it? Right? Life is too short. You have to do something that you're enjoying and you're having fun. Um, so that, those two became, those two criteria became my criteria as I think about career development, right, for, for lack of a better term. So I basically say, 
give me whatever challenge. If I think the challenge from that challenge, I'll be able to learn things, and I think I'm going to have fun doing it. Give it to me. And I actually didn't quite care what industry was in or what role it was specifically, but it's really those two things that I think propelled me. So along that path, were there any surprises along the way? Was there a, ever a turning point when someone influenced you yeah. or an, an event arose? Well, I think coming to Cargill absolutely was a it was a surprise. Um, it was not how I think that I might end up the life after McKinsey. I didn't think that I would be in an agricultural company, given that I really had very little uh, connection with agriculture prior to that. It was interesting because when I came out and interviewed with Cargill, partly because I didn't know what to expect, but when I sat down with the leaders of Cargill and started talking about their vision for the company and the vision for agriculture, as well as the challenges that agriculture faces, I realized, wow, this is clearly one of those least well-understood industry at least from the public's perspective, but yet it has so much complexity that actually affects all of us on a daily basis, and we, we're not even aware of it. That's what my, my aha sort of came in, and went home, talked to my husband, who, by the way, loves cold weather, does not mind moving to Minneapolis at all. And so, <laughs> Thankfully. So ultimately, it really is the leaders of Cargill, and eventually with my husband's pushing, that gave me the courage to leave McKinsey and took on the job at Cargill. So you were very supported in that I was, decision. I was very, very supported by, by my husband, for sure. So all along your career, can you talk about any people who helped mentor you yeah. or influenced you? I have many fantastic mentors, especially during my McKinsey career. Uh, all these mentors are men. So first of all, the mentors doesn't have to be a female, nor does it have to come from the same background. But what I do think is important is mentors who are the people who took a genuine interest in you and in your development. For example, one of my mentors in McKinsey who have always taken an interest in my career ever since I joined McKinsey um, made some very, very direct feedback to me to help me grow. How should I, how should I dress in such a way that I can sit across the table from the, from the CEO and talk convincingly? How should I carry myself? How should I think about challenging questions? And as a female, how do I present myself so that I have the gravitas to be able to face any challenges that might be come across me? And by the way, this mentor happened to be a German male. So it truly is someone taking a genuine interest in your career and be willing to give that to you. And by the way, if people don't, don't naturally come to you with those kind of feedback, then ask, right? We all interact with people around us who have opinions and perceptions of our effectiveness as a person, right, and, and as a leader. So ask the people around you, um, how am I doing? How am I being effective? How was the presentation I just did? So that we can continue to internalize those feedback and help us become better. Learning how to take constructive criticism and grow. Absolutely, absolutely critical, because we all need a mirror in front of us. And sometimes that mirror might give you very hard messages but without that mirror, how are we going to know? Yep. So it's exactly what we need to hear. That's exactly right. So you've probably also been a mentor yes. to other people. And I'm always curious about what, what did you learn during that process? Or are yeah. you learning because of being yeah. a mentor? I informally mentor lots of people in and outside of Cargill, male and female, across different tenures. I don't like to call it mentorship because I, I think these are all great opportunities to just change ideas and thoughts. You know, I, I always say we all have different career paths and different experiences. My life experience may or may not be applicable to whoever I talk to or whoever I mentor. But what's important, though, is 
to be a sounding board to each other and be able to be that mirror in front of that person and be able to hold that up. And doing that, you see your own reflection in that as well. Wow, this is interesting. You know, whatever challenge this person might be going through is exactly the challenge that I, I went through. Uh, but let's talk about it. You know, I'm not sure if I made the right decision. So I'll share my experiences and let's talk about what we can jointly learn from it. Or for me, what I learned, especially over the last couple of years, is really learning how the younger generation think about their career. You know, and lots of discussions about millennials or the generation after millennials. So what do millennials really want, right? So <laughs> I, I always take those opportunities whenever I talk to our younger colleagues. Tell me, what do you really want, right? <laughs> what can we do to help you with your career? And are we getting something wrong, right, in terms of how we think about your career development or your personal development, right? Because I think that, especially for a company that is as old as Cargill, we have to understand the younger generation so that we can continue to attract younger generation leaders, right, to help Cargill to continue to grow, right? So we've got to make sure we listen. And these mentorship discussions is a perfect time for us to listen to what they are looking for so that we, as more senior leaders, can help create an environment for them to be successful. Absolutely. We need them in our workforce. And exactly. we need just the way they think and the way they approach and life and how much energy they yeah. bring. And I, I really feel like we, as an agency, have learned a lot from yeah. having millennials in our office. And yeah. the next generation, of course, Gen Z, I think maybe, who is knows it, what, is that, or the found, what founder called? generation. I'm not sure what they're going to call it. There's always that crop coming up. We're to an important part of the podcast, which is your advice for young people coming up in their careers. What can you tell them that they can take to heart? So, I, Well, I shared my career path. Right? So if I look at my own personal experiences, um, I'll say a couple of things. One is, um, you know, ultimately, life takes its form in different ways. Sometimes the road might be straightforward, like a highway. Sometimes it's zigzagging through a forest. And it's it all going to be okay, right? And ultimately, instead of planning something purposefully, because it's, you, know, you never know where it's going to end, really probably most importantly is to make sure that you feel fulfilled and the fulfillment is defined by whatever is most important to you and again in my case a lot of it is about whether I'm learning and growing whether I'm having fun whether I have the opportunity to continue to be with my family and take care of my family that's what's important for me right and I think it's so important especially as our our younger friends thinking about their career what is going to help them feel fulfilled and be able to have that very clear picture in their mind as they think about career development. I do think that we talk also a little bit about having that mirror in front of you, right? Having someone who can give you completely unfiltered advice and challenge your thinking and challenge how to make you better, I think is extremely, extremely valuable. And again, we all got our blind spots, right? So how do we surface those blind spots so that we can really address them heads on? Personally, I found that to be very, val very valuable. And by the way, you know, some of the advice that I have been uh, getting over the years were the things that I worked on very, very hard. Right? I used to be very shy, very shy in meetings. Wow, because I've seen you speak, and you're a wonderful speaker in front of a thousand women. You just <laughs> nailed it when you were up there. But, but you you might not believe this, Sarah, but I, when I first started at McKinsey, I used to sit in the back of the room because I said, I don't know what to say. 
I have I see oh. all these men who are just so articulate, who you know know the answer at the top of their head. I was extremely intimidated. So I said, I better overcome that, and because otherwise I would never be able to go as far as I want to go, or as far as I where I think I could go. Right. So, how to overcome the, that? The some of the very innate personalities, and some of these are culture too, and experiences. Right. How we are all brought up. Right. So. Got to overcome that. Got to sometimes learn to interrupt others and be able to have a voice at the table. Got to learn to make sure that you have the gravitas. And got to make sure that you just got to come to the table as forcefully as anybody else. Some of those I I learned over the years. You know, again through fantastic advice from my mentors. I would think that's a to me it's a, such a valuable lesson for me. Which is what does it take to be successful? With my own definition, right? And what are the challenges that I need to overcome to get there? And those, I think those are the things that I, long, I learned along the way, and I certainly will hope that they are they are you know valuable advice for our younger friends as they enter the workforce. I think it's so great that you that you were actually that shy and overcame that because I think a lot of times we see people at the role that they're in now and think it was always like that for them. And to know that they actually intentionally overcame obstacles is really encouraging. Leadership is learned. Management capabilities, those are learned, right? Those are not innate. You can learn it, and you can get there, right?、Uh, but sometimes those things need to be more intentional. But see, I think this is interesting, right? So, I so perhaps you know to really summarize my advice would say: be intentional about what you want to learn and develop as a leader, and focus on that. More so than be too intentional about position and career path, right? Because sometimes those positions or bigger titles don't necessarily mean a whole lot if you're not getting the true development you need as a better manager, as a better leader, right?、Um, that's the true development that everybody should be looking for, rather than a better position, bigger salary,、uh, paycheck. That is wonderful advice. That that's an awesome attitude to have. Cargill is lucky to have you in this Thank role. Thank you. Well, I'm lucky to be here, and Cargill has given me tremendous responsibility, and really, they did take a risk on me. So you know, I so I'm I'm grateful for that opportunity. So you have a huge sphere of influence here, being with a global company and the role that you're in, and all the people's lives you touch. In that sphere of influence, what is your greatest concern right now? It, cargo animal nutrition or feed and nutrition is a global business.、Um, this is a think about this as a system that has lots of wheels and cogs all turning at once to make this global system work. Be a leader of this system. I'm extremely mindful of the speed of change that this system can and should undertake. What I mean by that is, if you look at it, the external world, the external world is changing faster. Than yesterday, every day is faster than yesterday. So we have to catch up, and we have to move, if not faster, at least at the same speed as the change that's happening around us, right?、Um, around our consumers, around our customers, right? Around our employees. So we got to move fast, but at the same time, just keeping the global nature of this business. And again, all these wheels they are interconnected, and they. So when something turns, something else turns at the same time, right? So how do I make sure that this system turns all at the same time, but not too fast, right? So that we can continue to drive the change to be on pace at where we need to go, right? Is probably one of my biggest challenge. So if you think about my ability to influence that 
it's a great responsibility and frankly a great burden. Because if I drive the organization too fast, things could snap and things could not go as well as we want it to go. But if we drive change too slowly, then we're not going to be able to keep up with the pace of change that's happening around us. So this is, that's, this is what's top of my mind right now. This is what keeps me up at night. How do I think about speed of change and driving change and capacity for change for the organization? And by the way, this sounds a little abstract, but change in this case is everything from how do we look at our business model in terms of how we make money? How do we look at new areas of research and development so that we can bring the best nutrition to bear? How do we look at technology? People talk about big data all the time, right, nowadays. So how do we think about that? What's data economy? That's not a new term that's introduced now. So how do we capture data and technology to help drive our business? And looking at a whole slew of risks that we face around the world, whether geopolitical risk, whether policy changes, whether it's commodity risk, weather, right? So if we look at all these risks, how do we manage these risks so that the business can continue to run, right? While we build a better system, building a better mousetrap, right? To be able to make sure that we continue to capture the opportunity and still be able to serve our customers. Lots of pieces going on, but it all really comes down to change management. So how do I drive that change for the organization so it's not going too fast and not too slow? But thank you for distilling it down to change management. That, that actually makes it not any less insurmountable, but more easy to understand, I guess, what you're up against and what that type of a role is like. What is a question that no one asks you, but you wish they would because you've got a great answer to it, maybe in light of our audience? People do ask, what's the, what's the secret ingredient to success, right? And I said, gosh, you know, first of all, I don't deserve it. I, I think I'm still on a journey, right? I enjoy what I do. It's really funny. I don't feel that, quote, unquote, I'm successful. I feel like I'm very happy with what I do. So what's the path of getting there? Um, I do think that a couple of things, right? One is, especially as, as a woman in our society, I do think that there's probably greater burden for us to talk ourselves into pushing us to continue our career development and continue the path that, you know, the one is on. The reason why I said that is I still see lots of women leaving the workforce prematurely or they take a backseat for a variety of reasons um, instead of really applying their full potential. And sometimes from many of the colleagues that I talk to, they're the ones who put themselves in that situation. I do think that we as women, we tend to take on a lot more burden on ourselves because we feel responsible for a lot of things happening around us and with our family. When we have a family, we tend to naturally think that we have to be the one taking care of our kids and taking care of the family. When it comes to career decisions, I think I see more women than men naturally take a backseat um, in terms of career decisions compared to their partner. My personal experience has been sometimes you need to have that conversation with your partner and make the best choice and decision for the family. Um, you know, I have that conversation with my husband. I, both of us were working full-time, and um, he decided to leave his job when our daughter was born. Right? So he's at home. He's at home. He's at home. And there's no right or wrong answer, nor is it who is better or who is worse, but what's right for the family and also who might have a stronger career prospect. And those are the kind of conversations that I encourage every woman to have as they think about their career decisions and career choices. I'll, maybe I'll give you a very concrete example. One very young colleague decided to leave Cargill. This was many years ago. And she came to me on, literally on her last day. I said, so why did you decide to leave? She said, well, I, I, Cargill gave me a promotion, but they want to send me to this city somewhere in, I won't name the States. So, I, you know, a, a, 
a city that's in the middle of nowhere by her definition. She said, I don't want to go there. I said, why don't you want to go there? She said, well, I'm single. I worry that if I go there, I won't be able to find a husband. I said, oh, okay. So where are you going to go next? She said, no, I'm just going to stay here in Minneapolis. What are you going to do? I don't know. I said, that's interesting. How will you know? Have you ever been to that city? No, I've never been to that city. So how will you know you're not going to be able to find a husband? Oh, I just know. Because it's, <laughs> you know, it's almost like you think too much, right? Yeah. And and I see that in a lot of young women. And you put so much analytical power into thinking or charting your future. Sometimes you limit yourself to what you're, you can do. Right? So I said, wow, that's interesting. If I'm being as thoughtful as she was, I guess I'm tell you, I'll tell you, I will not end up where I am today <laughs> because I will be thinking about implications and secondary implications and third degree implications, and I probably will close off a lot of doors that was in front of me. So, how, you know, how do we continue to encourage our younger women to say, be tenacious, go for it, take the risk, take the risk. When an opportunity is presented in front of you, go. Take it. You never know until you jump into it, you know, and you can always turn back, right, if things don't work out. But don't run yourself off ahead of time just because you got all these ideas in your head. Again, I've seen too many of those. I, that's an amazing story. You, uh, And maybe it's just because I live in a smallish town and I met my husband in a small town. Like, <laughs> oh, she, the perfect guy was probably there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> she just would have gone. Exactly. I unfortunately, I've seen too many of those cases. Yeah, and it, it is really true. We can be self-limiting. Yes. Maybe we're afraid to, to put ourselves out there yes. and take a personal risk or yes. that we're going to fail. Yes. Um, I think a lot of us either suffer from that or, you know, we look at the deep end of the pool and just think, I don't know, That's we're right. safer over here. Maybe I'll just stay. That's right. And, you know, it's this is, you know, no risk, no rewards, right? Yeah. So until you take that risk and you know what it's like, again, you can always turn back. But if you don't take that risk, you never know. And we need so many bright young women to be in agriculture. And we Absolutely. need them to take those risks and jump in and help. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jump in. Jump in. Agriculture needs more bright young women, for sure. I know you're a long way from stepping aside in your career, but what do you think people... What do you think you would like to be remembered for um, when you're finished with this phase and you move on to the next thing that you do? For my colleagues here, I will I will love for them to remember me as someone who is a people developer, who's there to challenge them, develop them, and really push them to be better than they thought they were. For my customers, I love them for them to hopefully you know, either heard of me or have met me and think that yeah, she's someone who is helping Cargill and charting the next phase of Cargill in terms of really put in place the next generation thinking on what animal nutrition could look like, setting that new strategy and charting that future. I have an eight-year-old daughter. My goal has always been a role model. I will hope that as I you know, finish whatever this phase of career that I'm on, that my daughter will tell people, yep, I've got a great mom who got a great career but still loves me and have time for me. So that's hope. That's what I hope that she will she will tell people. The perfect balance. <laughs> my mom found the perfect balance. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.